God says, I have a church and you are part of the church and I want you to go and to bring somebody in and to allow them to hear the word of God. And God is calling us today, just as he did Philip in that day, to build his church. For Philip, it was a calling to go to Samaria. Now, Samaria, if uh, you uh, need some context for that that time and that region, that was a place where the Jews, they did not like to go. It itself was a region within Israel. It was uh, historically part of the Israeli kingdom uh, under David, under Joshua, under all of them when they had established the boundaries of Israel. Uh, Samaria was encompassed within those boundaries. But on down through the uh, generations, there was the group of Samaritans, those people who lived there north of Jerusalem, north of uh, that, that region uh, there where much of the church was established. Uh, there was this place where people had gotten off track in their love of God and their worship of God. They began to intermarry with people who were pagan and they began to uh, worship God in, uh, in, in sacrilegious ways. And so because of this heresy, they were looked down upon by the Jews. They were looked at as, uh, you, you used to be Jew, but you've left that and you have no hope. But Philip felt the spirit prompting him. And so Philip went up to Samaria and he began to go there. Now he wasn't, uh, he wasn't the first one to go there. Jesus himself had stepped foot in Samaria. Jesus himself had gone. You know the story perhaps of how he met a woman at the well in Samaria and he had gone there and there, this woman, her life, her, her eyes were open to who Jesus was as the, the Messiah, uh, when Jesus began to read her mail about her life and how she, um, uh, she, she saw the revelation of who Jesus was. But now we see again the Spirit prompting a man, a missionary from the early church, Philip, to go up to Samaria. And so he goes there and he begins to pray for the people that are there in Samaria. There were physical needs that uh, people that they needed healing in their body. They, he began to see miraculous healings taking place. He began to pray for broken bones and, uh, and, and uh, bodies that were, uh, that were needing a healing. And, and, and he saw the miracles that would happen one after another as he would pray for them. But not just physical healing. He saw a spiritual revival that began to happen there. We saw the revival that uh, took place in Samaria as Philip moved throughout those uh, that, that region. And we see them being drawn to the message of Jesus Christ. Now the word got back to the rest of the church that was firmly established there in Jerusalem. And they got a little bit nervous about what Philip was doing. They didn't know about this kind of, uh, you know, whether or not this was supposed to be for the Samaritans. I don't know if they had forgotten what Jesus said or not, but Jesus had already told them that this is for Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. But uh, nevertheless, they were getting a little nervous. And so they sent Peter and John 
And they told them, we want you to go up and to follow up on the heels of Philip. And so they went up into Samaria as well. And they saw people who were hungry for a move of God. And they saw them and they baptized them in the name of Jesus. The Holy Ghost began to be poured out upon the Samaritans. Amen. Does anybody in here have faith enough to believe that there are those right now who are hungry, who are lost, and they they are, are searching, though, for something real in their life. And you believe that they have hope. And I believe that God has placed a church here in Kindleville. And God has placed a people to go and to reach those who are hungry for a move of God. They're hungry for something real. I believe that God has a church established to go into the areas where some would say, come on, I don't think that they are ready to receive it. But God says, I have a revival ready for every nation and every tongue. And I have revival for the city of Kindleville. And I have revival for those come on, that they have even walked away from this. Come on, the Samaritans once were in good graces with the Jews. They themselves were Jews. And there's a whole people out there right now who are backsliders. That they would You may look at them and say, come on, they're never going to come back to the church. But I believe that God has a revival for those who have walked away. I believe that God right now has a church ready to go to those who have walked away from this truth to come back into, into a place of repentance so that they could receive the Spirit and walk in newness of life. Hallelujah. That's what the Samaritans were. The Samaritan revival, the, the revival that was happening there in Samaria was exciting to the, uh, to, to the, the church in Jerusalem as they began to see that apparently God is no discriminator of people that he has, uh, he wants to pour his spirit out upon not just the Jews, but also upon the Samaritans. And so Philip, being that uh, that one that was leading the charge, she was, uh, I'm sure, just making a headway into different areas within this region of Samaria. But one day, as uh, this revival is taking place, it says that he got a visitor. God sent a visitor to Philip. And this wasn't just any old visitor. This was, in fact, a visitor that came straight from heaven. It was an angel that came to speak to Philip. And this angel said to him, I need you to leave all of these people. All these people that are experiencing revival. You're seeing great growth. You're seeing all these things happen. I need you to leave them. And I want you to go out to the desert road. I want you to go on that desert road that is between Jerusalem and Gaza. And uh, I have another purpose for you right now that I need you to shift directions. Now, I don't know about you, but if that were me, I would kind of scratch my head just a little bit because I'm right here in the middle of revival where God is using me to see great results and a church be built up right here in Samaria. But uh, as in, in, in the midst of this, uh, he tells me not just to go to a, a another city, which was kind of the strategy of the early church. Let's hit the cities. Let's go to where the people are at. Because uh, we, we know that there's somebody there that's hungry. And God's not sending Philip to another city. But rather, he says, I just want you to go out into the desert. Where nobody's at. Go to the desert. 
And walk along the road that's between Jerusalem and Gaza. See, I'm thankful that God has in His mercy enough love for even one new convert. That He would send somebody to go and reach one hungry soul. See, God wasn't sending Philip to a mission field of millions this time. He was sending him to a mission field of one. There was one person that God says, I want you to reach. There is one person that is hungry for me, and I know that you're the man. You're the one who led the charge in Samaria. You're the one who would follow my spirit as, as I would lead you to go and and. and begin to break down some barriers of the early church about who this message, who this gospel message was for. And, and now here he is once again being sent on a mission by the Spirit. And so he goes and he leaves Samaria, goes to this road, and he's walking along this road. And, and uh, I, I can just uh, picture uh, the Spirit just prompting him again as, uh, as he sees this this traveler that is along that road going in his chariot. And we see Philip there and, and the spirit prompting him once again. This is the one that I sent you for. I want you to go. It, it, it tells us, it says uh, that the spirit led him and it told him, I want you to go up to this man that's in this chariot, in this in this um, cart that's that's going along the road. And, and I, just, just go and talk to him. Just strike up some conversation. And as he did so, it, it tells us that he, he made his way up and he began to walk alongside that chariot. And he, he hears something as, uh, as he begins to walk alongside that chariot. He hears, uh, a, a book that's being read. And, and from this book, it doesn't tell us, uh, exactly if it was the servant of the man that was reading it or it's, it's the man himself reading it to the servant. But the man, uh, there, there are two men at least in the chariot and, uh, he and his servant and, uh, and they're reading from the book of Isaiah. And in this book of Isaiah, they're reading a particular passage that struck a chord with Philip. He said, all right, God, I know why you sent me now. I know why you sent me to this man because this man, I may not know him, uh, he, but, but he's reading something that I do know. The man, uh, sees Philip walking there alongside that chariot, and I'm, I'm sure kind of surprised about the fact that somebody in the desert is walking and keeping stride with him along that road, and so he invites him into the chariot. Says that as he invites him into the chariot, they, he begins to ask him some questions about what it is that he's reading. Now, uh, I, I can imagine first and, uh, that there was a little conversation that took place, some pleasantries exchanged about who they were. Philip telling him about uh, his background. I don't know if he told him about all that, uh, all of his background, but we do see that he got some background from this man. It tells us that this was no ordinary man. He was, he was one who was from the uh, inner courts. He was a man who served for the queen mother Candace, who was the effective ruler of the region of Ethiopia. Now, Ethiopia, when we say that in scripture, or see that in scripture, it's uh, somewhat of a different region from what you may picture as Ethiopia. It's uh, more so what is modern day Sudan. 
was still there uh, in, in the north part of Africa along the, the south, southern coast of the Mediterranean Sea. And, and he is there. And this man was a Gentile. He was, uh, he was not a Jew, meaning um, that, that he was not one that descended from, uh, descended from Moses or descended from Abraham, but, but here he is, not just as he a Gentile, but it tells us he's a eunuch, which uh, we know from the law of Moses means that he could not have come in as a proselyte, uh, come into the Jewish faith being a eunuch. But it does appear that he was a God-fearing Gentile. He had the book of, of uh, Moses, or had the book of, uh, of Isaiah, and he's, he's reading from this book. It even tells us that he is on his way back from a journey to Jerusalem to go and to worship God there in Jerusalem. And so at some point in his life, this man had some contact with some Jews that uh, in, in his life had, had some kind of a, uh, an impact on his life. And so he's there, but he has questions about this book. He's reading about a man that would suffer. He's reading about this man that it likens him to a sheep that's led to the slaughter. It's a man that his life would be given for, to save the rest. He doesn't understand this. What, what am I reading about? He even asked the question, am I, am I reading about, or is the writer, is he writing about himself um, is he writing about another person? Can you, do you have any insight about what this is telling me? Because Philip, knowing God had sent him there, he began to tell him about Jesus Christ. That's all it tells us. It doesn't tell us the exact message he preached. It just says that he preached Jesus to him. And as he preached Jesus Christ to this man who was there in that chariot that day they began to talk about how jesus I, i'm sure the message from the passage that he was reading there they got to the fact that jesus christ was the lamb he was the lamb of god that was led as a sheep to the slaughter that he was the one whose body was hung up on a tree hung up on a cross so that he would give his life for you and me and that jesus christ was the one who was god come down to save us from our sins that Jesus Christ was the one that when he after he died he was buried in a tomb but Philip telling him he didn't stay in that tomb but he rose up out of that tomb three days later and I saw him with my own eyes in this man who was there before everyone in Jerusalem hanging on a cross he rose up out of that grave and when he left 50 days later his spirit came down and and it filled us and we today are filled with the same spirit that Jesus Christ had and he told us that we can experience the same thing that resurrected life that he had and let me tell you about how you can experience it yourself he tells him about baptism he tells him about repentance and how repentance it is something that you make up in your mind 
and say, from this day forward, I'm leaving my past behind. Everything that I've done in my past, it's dead. It's hung on the cross. Just as Jesus died on the cross, I'm I'm dead to my old man, my old self, and I'm living a new life. From this day forward, I'm living a new life. My sins, they were nailed up to that cross with Jesus Christ. And when I die to my old self in a repented life, that is what I'm doing. I'm living a new life from repentance. But it's not just about repentance. It's about going through and following up with baptism. Because when we are baptized, we are baptized into Christ. And we get to, we get a brand new name when we go down into the waters of baptism. And you come up out of those waters a brand new person. You experience the new life by saying my old man's dead in repentance. But now I have a new name that's written on me. Come on, I went down into the waters and I come out, come on with a new name and that is Jesus Christ and I have him living inside of me. Come on, when he filled me with his spirit. I can just imagine the the prayer meeting that they had right there in that chariot as he led him through repentance. And they began to pray, God, forgive me of the things I've done. God, help me, Lord, to come and to to live my life for you, to leave my past behind. Help me, God, Lord, to to take everything that was was about myself, Lord, and to to set that aside. Lord, I'm going to pursue just the things that you would have me to pursue. Lord, I'm leaving my past behind. I'm repenting from this day forward. My life will look different. It's a commitment that you make. It's a decision that you make. Repentance is a decision. It's not just a one-time decision. No, there has to be a time in your life where you say, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. Jesus, I have decided that this is now the way of life. That this for me is my guidebook to everything that I need. That the word of God, come on, it doesn't matter what I think. Somebody can come and they can ask me. They can ask me, what what do you think? What do you think about uh, what do you think about all these these things that are happening in the world? What do you think about this this uh, uh, LGBTQ uh, conversation that's happening out there? Let me tell you, it doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't. It doesn't matter what I think. It matters what the king thinks. That's that's the only thing that matters. It doesn't. It does. My opinion no longer matters. It only matters what he thinks. Why? Because I have decided that he and he alone is the one that gets to set the parameters for what's right, for what's wrong. It doesn't matter. Come on, for what I think about it, it matters what God thinks about it. And I have decided that this is the very word of life and that this is the thing that is going to, that I am going to pursue every day from here on out. I have decided that the king is the king. That the king of kings is the king. I'm not the king. The, the pastor's not the king of your life. 
Your spiritual advisors, those who have poured into your life in the past, they are not the king of your life that get to make up all the the things that you would follow. No, it is he and he alone. And I have decided to follow Jesus, the king of kings. He understood kingship. He understood, or perhaps we could say queenship in his case with it being Candace, the mother queen of Ethiopia, he understood that well. This concept of one who was in charge. He understood this, uh, this idea of, of the fact that when we come under the rule of somebody that they, that they are the ones that get to make the rules and I follow them. And, and I, you know, it's, it's not all bad because he is good and our king is a good God. And the things that he would ask me to do, we never have to question whether or not God is, wants the best thing for us. He does want the best for us. He's keeping you. He's kept me from so many things by following Jesus. My, my testimony. A testimony. It may not look like uh, some testimonies in here because God, my testimony is one where God kept me. God kept me. I never, I, I've never been addicted to alcohol. I've never been addicted to any kind of drugs. I've never been addicted to, uh, to, to these things where, uh, where some, and I praise God for those who came out of that. But for me, He kept me from it. And I'm thankful that God kept me from it. I'm thankful that God has kept me this far, kept me this, to, to this point. And I believe that He's gonna continue keeping me because He has the best interest for me. I serve a good God. Amen. They began to to repent. They found a place of repentance. They talked about it. But then there came a time where they were getting down the road and they came to some water. And that man looked up to Philip and he said, hey, hey, we've been talking about what I need to do to be saved. We've been talking about this new life. I see some water here. What's stopping us right now from going down into that water and for me to be baptized? What do you think, Philip? You think we can make this happen today? You think that what you've been talking about now, now, you think Philip pulling out his cell phone and calling back to Jerusalem and saying, hey, guys. I've got this Gentile here who I've been, been talking to, and, and, and he wants to get baptized. Do you, do you think that's okay? You think it's okay for this guy? We, we haven't done this yet. We haven't, we haven't baptized a, a, a eunuch that's, that's there from the Ethiopia, but, but what, what do you guys think? You think we ought to baptize him? No. He didn't have to consult with somebody. The only thing he had to consult with was the spirit that was leading him that day. And as this man said, with a hungry heart and desire to be filled and to live a new life for Jesus Christ, he said, nothing is hindering us. Let's go down to the water. And they stepped on into that water. And he said, what do you believe about Jesus Christ? And the man said back to him, I believe that Jesus Christ is the King of Kings. I believe that he's the Lord of Lords. And so as long as I put him in that place for my life let's go down and I'm going to be buried in the name of Jesus he decided that day that nothing 
is going to stop me. I'm not going to put this off for another day. I'm not going to put this off for another time. No, this there's water here. Let's get me baptized. I want to go down into the water so that I can come out with his name written on my life. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Is there anybody here who remembers when that happened in your life? Is there anybody here who remembers that? (laughs) Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. For me, it was October 15th, 1995. Seven years old. On that day, I was at the altar in South Bend, the church that I, my family attended at that time, and were praying. I, I remember all the people that were around me that were praying with me, and and God began uh, to 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 do a work in me. I, that, that altar began to clear, and 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 uh, I remember hearing my cousin was about to get baptized, and then my brother was following him, my older brother, that he decided he wanted to get baptized. And I said, well, I don't want to be left out in this. How about you baptize me as well? So I went down in the name of Jesus Christ on October 15, 1995. And on that day, I made a decision that from this day forward, I will follow Jesus. I will pursue him with everything that I have. As a seven-year-old, I have made up my mind. I am following Jesus. I have decided that he and he alone is going to be the one that will lead me and guide me. And if I made mistakes, have I gotten off track since then? Yes, I have. But he and he alone is the king of kings. And I'm not going to step away from that decision that that I made 25 years ago when Jesus, when the name of Jesus came on my life. Come on, I became a new man that day. It was one week later, October 22nd, that he filled me with his spirit. And I came out of that service speaking in other tongues. The spirit God, come on, it came. The evidence of the Holy Ghost rested upon me. Come on, and I knew from that day forward, God, come on, that I have the power that I can read about in the book of Acts. It's alive today. It's alive today. I decided at seven years old. I will follow Jesus. Colossians chapter 2, it tells us that you were buried with Christ when you were baptized. And with him, you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. When you were baptized, you were buried with Christ. You were buried with him just as he was Buried in a grave. Jesus, or uh, we were buried in our, when our sins were washed away. They were completely forgiven. And you were raised to new life. It's just a decision that you make. It's a decision that you made. And I know that there are many here today who have made that decision. That there was a time in your life where you made a commitment to God. And you decided, I will follow Jesus. This is the pattern. This right here. Repentance. Baptism in the name of Jesus. And receiving 
the gift that he has for you, which is his spirit, the Holy Ghost that would come inside of you. That is the new birth. That is what we see in scripture that uh, in, in order to be saved, in order to gain entrance into heaven, that is what we do. Jesus himself talked about it. He said that you must be born of water and of the Spirit. Peter talked about it. He says, repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And this promise is unto you and to your children and to all them that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. This promise was not just for them. It is for you. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall dream dreams, shall, shall see visions. The old men shall dream dreams. All of them come on from young to old. Come on, it doesn't matter what uh, uh, social status you have. He says, this is for all of you. The servants, the handmaidens, he says, it's for them. This is for those that are in high places. This is for everybody. It doesn't matter. This new birth is for everyone. If you haven't experienced it today, I want to tell you that you can, you can have this experience here today. Here at New Life, I believe that this uh, baptism, it is open whenever you're ready. If God, come on, is speaking to you right now to say, I need to be baptized, don't you leave this place without having been baptized. It's ready for you right now. If God wants to, if, if you're ready right now and you need the Holy Ghost, God wants to fill you with His Spirit. God wants to fill you with His Spirit today. Don't you leave here without it God is here and God wants to raise you to new life but you have to make the decision it's a decision that you make it's a decision that you make to say God I will follow you God I will follow you see the new birth though is just the beginning because the birth because after birth comes life We see in Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 6, it says that we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. Notice this is past tense. That's because when he writes this letter, he's writing it to a church that has already experienced the new birth. So he says that we died, past tense, we died and we were buried with Christ when we were baptized. And so that is what happened. And so I speak now to somebody who you have died. You have been buried in baptism. You have experienced that. You have decided to follow Jesus and you have experienced that new birth. But now it says, and just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now, notice that, now, 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 he's talking about right now, not something that was in the past when we did die and we were buried and we made a decision back then, but now, in the very present that we're living in, we also may live new lives. Right now, you ought to be living a new life that looks and, and, and it appears to be every bit different from your past as black is from white. Hey, come on, that, that, there ought to be a stark difference from what your past life looked like to what your now life looked like because God when he did a work in you he raised you to new 
life. It says, since we have been united with him in his death, we will, now he's speaking of the future. In the past, you experienced that baptism. In the now, you experience new life. And you will be raised to life as he was. You will experience eternal life. That's what's in store in the future. See, the new life that God has for you to live is a life that is no longer ridden with guilt from your past. The new life that God has for you to live right now is one that is no longer bound by depression. The new life that God has called you to live right now is one that's not strapped by anxiety. The new life that God has called you is one that is stripped of dependence from drugs and of alcohol. Well, we had it just last week following the service. I had somebody that said, Pastor, can I meet with you for just a few minutes? And they, after the service, we stepped into my office and they handed me a, a they handed me a, a, a canister of some nicotine and they said, I've been addicted to this since I was 18 years old. And from this day forward, I am not going to be dependent upon the power of nicotine because God has delivered me and I have been called to a new life. That's no longer dependent upon those drugs and those things that they would have me bound. It is a life that doesn't seek the approval of man at all costs. That's what a new life looks like. It's not about seeking with the approval of what somebody else would say, but rather it's seeking the approval of what you would say, what God would say. God, that's the only approval I really need. I need your approval. The new life is a life of peace. The new life is a life where you are whole. The new life is that of freedom, of experiencing true love for those who are around you. The new life is that of generosity. The new life is one where you belong to a family, the family and the body of Christ. On this new life in Jesus is a life that forsakes sin. It pursues holiness. This new life is one where you have been forgiven not only of your sins, but you are forgiving others as well. Because if God has forgiven me of so much, then how can I not forgive others of what they've done? This is the new life. This new life is one where Jesus teaches us to love your enemy. To pray for those who despitefully use you. Well, you say, well, now you're talking about things that sound difficult. This new life is one that denies yourself and it promotes the will of the Spirit of God that is within you. That's what this new life is all about. This new life is one that's not self-consumed, but rather it's spirit-consumed. It's allowing God to, to lead you. And, and there are things that you will give up that you would not have given up had, had you been living that old life. But I live a new life. I live a life that's not about entertainment. I live a life that is about entertaining Jesus Christ. I live a life on mission. 
I live a life, come on, where, where I read G, uh, about Jesus, uh, about how he went and he served others. And, and you say, well, I'm not one that, that just likes to get my hands dirty with those who are in need. But he says, you do as I do. You, you follow the example that I give you and let's serve others. See, this new life is one that looks radically different from your life before that decision that you made to be born again. One day you decided, I want to experience this new life. And you went down in the waters of baptism. You came out a new man. You are experiencing new life. He gave you his spirit, filled you with his spirit. And here you are now. You've made that decision. And now it's time to make the decision again. Every day I've decided to live this new life. I choose to live this new life. I choose to pursue everything that God has called me to pursue. I choose forgiveness. I choose, come on, to live with peace. I choose to to forgive others. I choose generosity. I choose peace. I choose choose to belong and to, to invite others. I choose to serve. I choose not the approval of man, but I choose the approval of God. I choose, come on, to live this new life that Jesus would call me to. I choose to love my enemy. I choose to pray for those who are using me and slandering my name. I choose this. And it's a choice that you still make. The choice today is still yours to live this new life. That choice is still there. Are you living this new life today? Are you willing to allow Jesus to change what matters in your life? Does he have the authority to remove things from your calendar? Does he have the okay to get into your checkbook? To rearrange the flow of your finances? Have you decided to follow Jesus fully? Have you decided that it's not just about a moment of the new birth and you're living the rest of your life about that one decision that you made a long time ago? But it's about a decision that I still make today. I choose to live this new life. I choose to live my life for Jesus. I choose to live a life that is fully and completely dependent upon him. I choose this. I decide to follow Jesus. I decide. Come on. I'm like the the scripture that says I have my hand to the plow. I'm not looking back. I'm not getting distracted by the things of the world. But I'm marching on. I'm keeping my hands to work. I'm doing everything that he's called me to do. This isn't about just a moment in time. This is about what he's continuing to do in my life. Amen. I'm coming to a close here quick. I know that decision is not easy. That decision sometimes is not, is not easy. There's some things about living for God that are contrary to the inner desires that you would have in your life. Things that would, would say, ah, that's not comfortable for, comfortable for me to do. It's not comfortable for me to pray for my enemy. I don't think that's comfortable for any of us. No matter if you've been forgiven, you've experienced the new birth or not. It's not easy to do, but you choose to do it because he died for you. And so you choose to live this new life because he is good and he wants good things for you. It's a choice that you make. It's a choice to live this new life. See there. Every weekend. There are marriages that take place and. I probably could say every day that there are marriages that are taking place 
where wedding vows are exchanged or two people are declaring their intent to live for each other. They're declaring from that day forward they're going to live their life differently from the way that they did before. They've decided to remove themselves from the dating market. I'm no longer available. Is there anybody else out there looking? I'm not looking anymore. I'm not available here from this day forward because it's me and you, baby. Just us. Not only that, they've decided to love and to cherish their spouse. They've decided to remain committed through the good times and the bad times. Through richer and poorer and sickness and in hell. They've decided to commit themselves fully to one another. Their life after marriage looks very different from life before marriage. See, I've never known anyone who stood at that altar and they took those vows of marriage with the hope that someday they would be divorced. With the hope that someday they would walk away from each other. And I don't say this to condemn anybody who has... uh, whose marriage has failed or you have gone through a divorce. I don't say this to condemn anybody, but uh, things happen sometimes out of our control. But marriage is not just a one-time declaration of your love. It's not just a one-time declaration of your affection for that other individual, for your spouse. And then... You just go on, you live your life however you want. You declare it on those marriage vows, and then you just go and live however you want. That's not, that's not how marriage works. No, it's, it's something that must be tended to. You have to work on your marriage. You have to decide to be faithful. Now, when you fall in love with them, it's a whole lot easier. When you're in love, it's not a chore. But love itself is not always just an emotion. Love is itself a decision. I choose to love. But what happens when you're not? What happens when in a marriage things fall apart? Tragically, far too many come to an end. Far too many marriages, they come to an end. And the two individuals who God had seen as coming together as one flesh, they're torn apart and they go their separate ways. But... I've seen others, others who it looked like there was no hope. It looked like there was a definite divorce that was coming and separation that was going to take place. But something happens between them and they come to another and come to one another and they find themselves at an altar once again at times and they repeat those vows one another and they say I have decided to commit my love my affection to you they make that declaration of love and that rekindled commitment rekindled love that they would have for one another and renew their marriage vows can we just stand in this place right now Here today, as we close out this service, I believe that God is rekindling some love and desires in the hearts of some people in this place. I believe that God is drawing somebody to a place of repentance, to a place of recommitment of their declaration to live this life with Him in the lead.
to say, I've decided once again, God, that I'm not going to pursue my passions. I'm not going to pursue the things that are gotten me off track, but God, I'm going to recommit myself to you. And 